Welcome to episode 20 of the Crownsman Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Downey, and my lovely co-host is Gaudi Molina. Good morning. Good oh, wait, morning. I don't think it is morning. Good today. afternoon, because <laughs> we had a change in schedule. Yes, we did. That's good. Change is good. It throws you off, and it makes you reset a little bit. Mm-hmm. Keeps things spontaneous. And this show is, um, we're shifting gears a little bit. We've got a... Uh, a special guest in here today because I've I've known him for years. Um, we'll actually get into on the show uh, our relationship and um, and I kind of wanted a theme for this show, which is a little different than we've done it before. Is a theme of of honesty. And when we started the show, we really wanted to champion industry. And but as we move forward, you you have a lot of different perspective. You have people that are trying to get the industry to be more green. You have people that are challenging ideas. So it, it switches back and forth a lot. Yeah. And in almost every, uh, when we're talking to minds and there's a discussion of the relationship between indigenous people and heavy industry. And so that's, that's something we had to have a show about that. And so uh, we I asked Frank to come and be on the show because... He grew up in actually the same area I did, which is mining, forestry. There's, uh, you know, there's pipelines, um, but Frank has also moved into the tourism industry. So he's got, so he's got so many layers. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do a show, and so we we've got Frank on here to have an honest discussion about the relationship between heavy industry and the indigenous people, and with tourism. Um, so it's it's going to be a, a very hopefully an honest discussion and an informative discussion for people really in in this case really in any industry it's it's we're going to go a little bit broader with it Mm because it really applies to anybody who's living in these communities so um before we uh, introduce frank gowdy uh who are our sponsors today yay we could never do this show without our sponsors. We certainly could not. <laughs> <laughs> so first up, we've got, um, again, so I wanted to mention um, our struct- a structural geology and mining course for you. Um, this is put on by Sean Daly, who has a Bachelor of Science in Geology, um, a Master's of Engineering in Mining and Engineering. The purpose of this course is to learn practical aspects of the relationship between structural geology and mining with an emphasis on open pit. Um, the course starts May 6th, so you can register by emailing peter.daily. Uh, sorry, peter.daily at hotmail.ca, um, or you can follow the link in the description below. You can also contact Sean Daly um, by phone at 778-386-7532. Awesome. Um, no, I'm not done. <laughs> oh, I know. I oh, know. Okay. <laughs> I'm just taking a breath. Oh. No big deal. <laughs> um, we also have um, our sponsor, Savannah Equipment. If you need anything um, or everything from slurry pumps to jaw crushers to ball mills to conveyors, go to the leader in used mining equipment. That's Savannah Equipment. Um, and you can visit them at SavannahEquipment.com where you will find more equipment every day and electrical too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've got a lot of, they've got thousands of items. So, yes. um, Okay, Frank. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for making the drive all the way down to, to visit with us. Appreciate yes. it. Well, thank you. It was a beautiful drive this morning to be down here. Yeah, actually, here. I saw the weather this morning. I thought, oh, good. <laughs> At least he's not having to drive in rain or uh, I think the snow's done on the Coke this year. Yeah, it's starting to melt more and more every day. and You don't see as much as uh, snow or sledders, I guess you call them now. But, uh, yeah, it, the 
recreation is switching over to summer now. Yeah. So. Actually, I was going to talk about the heavy industry first, but you mentioned before we went on air, you've got a company that you founded, Mox and Trails. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you're actually putting, you're la- ro- launching that in April, aren't you? Yeah, uh, this will be our second launch. Uh, we did one in the fall yeah. uh, right at Quayot Lodge where I used to work for about 12 years. And uh, now we get to do it right into the city of Kamloops. So now we're going to be inviting definitely all of the uh, managers and corporations and the people that want to be a part of, of our company. Yeah. When what when we first, uh, I mean, you mentioned that you were going to start something like this uh, four years ago or something. And and. It always was shocking to me that this wasn't already there in the interior. Because in the coast, on the coast, they do do canoe tours. Mm-hmm. And it's it doesn't exist in the interior. It mm-hmm. just amazes me that yeah. it never happened. Well, we have definitely a lot of lakes and rivers up there. Yeah. So I guess the concept come to me, again, being working at a, at a resort by a lake, uh, I was looking at our indigenous values and, and our, tra- our, our one main way of looking at it was actually traveling on the water. And we just never done that. And uh, two years ago in their 25th anniversary, I helped develop uh, a project with two authentic traditional canoes. So yeah. that's what kind of sparked me in going into the direction I am with my company. Yeah, that's it's amazing. I, I wanted to get into a little bit of, uh, just so the audience has a bit of an idea of, mm-hmm. of what Frank has, has done. You're you're the founder of Mox and Trails, which is just um, I don't even think I've got all the boards that you're on <laughs> listed <No>. here. <laughs> the chair of Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, TOTA. Um, you were 12 years at Quayote Lodge. Mm-hmm. The co-coordinator of the I don't know I did something funny there of the Shuswap Indigenous Tourism Strategy. Yeah. Um, S- what is Splatscene? Splatscene. Yeah. Economic Development Board. Uh, you're a member of that board. You're the member of the Adams River Salmon Salmon Society. Does that does the salmon run this year? No, it. Uh, this is the last year was their dominant run 2018. So yeah. the next one is going to be in 2022. 2022. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's every f- four years. Every four years. Wow, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, you're the board member of the Bonaparte for First Nations, or you you were you were, were, yeah. were board were board member, and you're the co-chair of Indigenous Tourism of BC. And yes. then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you do. Well, you definitely it's a broad of the boards I sit on and it always started from the pebble in the pond kind of ripple. It started yeah. with the local uh, boards and then I just kept asking questions and it's kind of unique because my indigenous name is called Shawi and Shawi in our language means Shawita means to ask, ask <laughs> questions. Uh, so I kept asking questions and they kept opening doors and that's where I got to where I am today. Yeah. My, wow. my, my wife says that I'm uh, curious. Yeah. So that that's that's why we get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we you're another showy, that's for sure. Some people call it annoying. I don't know. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Finding the answers for those questions is is, is our definitely daily goal. Yeah. Um want to talk about you and I had an interesting conversation uh just a couple of weeks ago and you were um you were talking, we were talking about the relationship between heavy industry, indigenous people. And, you know, I, I'm always, whenever I use that, you know, that kind of terminology, you know, indigenous people are also living besides other communities and, mm-hmm. and they're mixed, mixed in. So it's sort of limiting to just say, because the relationship between heavy industry and the communities around them, which mm-hmm. include the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, on a general, and we'll dig into it a little more as the show goes, what sort of, 
how do you view you know how do you view a a a, a mine that's right next to you know uh Bonaparte or you know or within you know within an hour's driving distance mm-hmm. how does sort of i guess how what is your view and what do you think the general feel is of of the communities that are beside these mines well, I guess it goes back to the generations that have lived in that country or lived in that area for quite a while time and following the different other industries before the mining industry came into play in our area, uh, ranching industry, the forest mm-hmm. industry, um, obviously were the main employers of that area. So as when the mining industry came in, it, it, you got you know, back then it was job was a job and it was an opportunity to have a better lifestyle. And it didn't matter what color your skin was, it mm. was just to better your life so your children have a better life. And I figure, you know, when you see the pipelines and everybody comes in, it's almost a double edged sword for indigenous communities now, depending on where their economic development is. And there are some very keen communities that followed suit and start doing the due diligence of following the economic uh, uh, growth in their communities, depending on what uh, industries were around them. Uh, for example, my community, uh, definitely most, uh, and some of my family uh, are involved in that mining industry that work in there. So, you know, th- again, it's not something, it's more of an individual choice now versus it was a community a stand standstill with it. Yeah. So definitely different views. Um, now from a leadership role where I was in as a counselor for two years, how do you stand with these, with these industries that come into your territory? How do you, how do you consult? Uh, how, where do you come from? Uh, so again, it's the community values. And again, if you're an economic uh, d- provider in your community or a driver in that community, it's really gonna showcase where your community is gonna be with these industries. How much better do you think than even 10, 20 years ago, do you think um, the bands are at negotiating with these, with the pipeline companies? Um, and, and I don't mean just better at getting a, getting a, you know, a better deal for them, but also moving these projects forward for the employment of their people and everything. How, how much advancement do you think has been made? Oh, there's some communities that are, um, you know, especially through the pipeline. I know a few communities that o- openly admitted that they're working with these industries to better because no matter what, it's coming through and they either get a piece of the pie or they just watch it go by. Mm-hmm. And they're getting involved on from the infrastructure right to uh, the decision of how things are being set up. So the employment rate is quite high in some of these communities. And then there's some communities have zero unemployment rate. So... Again, depending on where you're uh, on where that pipeline is going through yeah. at a certain section, so there's an offset to it too, right? Yeah, I I, I sometimes wonder, well not sometimes. I've mentioned this to you several times that, and I, the the opposition to something like a pipeline gets quite a bit of media coverage. Mm-hmm. I've noticed it's it it's and it gets quite thorough. They'll do a whole spot on it. There'll be a half hour show mm-hmm. that they'll dig into it. I've never heard. And I may be wrong. Now, please send me the ones that show that I'm wrong. But um, I've never heard that sort of in-depth for uh, the bands that are supporting it, that are saying, no, our community is in talks with them. It might be a little, you know, a 30-second clip. But Mm -hmm. in-depth of what it is actually bringing to the community, how the negotiations have gone. Why why do you think that is, if you were to guess, why does that – why does sort of the opposition get so much coverage? Which is, I mean, it, th- they have every right to oppose it, of course. Mm-hmm. 
but why is there so much coverage when you have you know maybe five bands that are against it mm-hmm. and you've got 30 that are saying yes mm-hmm. why don't you think those 30 get a l- just even a little more coverage well again news uh, the only way you're going to have news and provide news to people that want interest is usually the negative side of it yeah uh, there's definitely two sides to the story, and for me, when I when I see that, uh, especially individuals that definitely have that uh, ability to to grab that attention, and it's usually the louder they scream, the louder they make noise, and and when they speak on behalf of our nation, it's really um, what kind of like for me. I, I'll give you an example of when the 2010 Olympics came, mm-hmm. and they were talking about the Sea to Sky Highway. And uh, the war society, they called themselves, got up and took the, ca- the Olympic flag off the in Vancouver here. And they said they were doing it for honoring an elder. And uh, in reality, it was really honoring themselves because they were bringing the attention to them. It was negative. It wasn't positive. Even though they spun it off as a positive, it really was the attention was going back to their society. Mm-hmm. So again, it's how you look at what uh, directions and organizations are going in that way. And it's changed since then. And, and definitely there's a lot of people who are opposed to the pipeline uh, based on, uh, is it going to benefit them individually? Is it going to benefit the area? So is you know is it something that's getting laid down and been through there? So I, I think there needs to be a lot of uh, group discussions. Uh, when, you build a rela- when you build a partnership uh, in anything, you have to build that relationship. And sometimes I think... From the government's view, they think they've done it by consulting certain nations or certain leaders. Well, those leaders don't communicate to their communities. And yeah. I think that's where the breakdown is. I think it really needs to be brought from the grassroots up versus from the top down. So that's where I see the changes that need to be. When I was a leader, I know that was something that in my community, you had to communicate with the, with the community before you even did anything. So sometimes that gets missed on some of the opportunities because there's always a short timeline to the decisions they have to make. And you know in the long run it will pay off, but in the short term they need to go back into their communities to share that information, what's coming down. Yeah. Do you think now, um, you you mentioned things like the logging industry now. Um, Now there is definitely a push from some of these bands. I've seen it... um, from multiple bands in the interior, and I'm sure it's not just BC that it's happening, where there is a push to take a lot more control over over their the assets that are on their land and and essentially make more profits off those assets as opposed to here's a okay here's your here's your fee and we're gonna go slice it all down and see you later. Yeah. Are you seeing? Uh, do you have any examples specific of where that where you're seeing that sort of progression yeah well i can again go back to my community and yeah. in, the, in our what we call our natural resources department yeah. where forestry is now we're hiring people to come in to help uh, manage our forest versus just selling our forest mm-hmm. so uh, we're going to be we're going to be more selective of what the logs are and what they're doing a- in our area so if we want a specific piece out there we can now manage it so we're, we're almost it's almost like gardening right you take out what you need and yeah. leave the rest where they were industry, the forest industry come in and they just take what they want and all of it gets da- taken down. So again, again, best forest practices. I don't go any against anything against forestry. But again, it's an industry that's been here for quite a while, but they also know how long our, lo- our logs are going to be out there. So again, yeah. it's that how do you how do you slow it down and how you keep managing to keep 
generating jobs. Yeah. I think that's the biggest part of it all. Yeah. Do you how how long when when somebody and I I'm not saying in your community it's an example, but it for sure it it's happened where companies have come in, taken advantage, they've got better lawyers, better negotiating skills. Yeah. They come in and they get a great deal for themselves and uh, cut and go. Yeah. How long do you think it takes for a community um like a Bonaparte community to then sort of be able to feel comfortable walking into that door and, and being confident, no, we can negotiate a good deal. And for the company now, because they know now, okay, no, now now Bonaparte's going to come in with better lawyers. And, you know, everybody's getting more aware. Does it, does it take time to then sort of mend that sort of, you know, the deal that got signed 30 years ago? Mm -hmm. Well, again, it goes through generations. There were certain ways how you did business 30 years ago to yeah. prepare how you do it today. Uh, I think now, I think we're on the same page. Uh, sustainability is a huge word that's been spread across industries. How yeah. do we, you know, keep everything that we're natural resources as long as we could versus extracting as fast as we could? Yeah. So again, it has a more of a uh, a people feel uh, mm -hmm. versus an individual feel. Because uh, before it was just one person making decisions back then and they followed suit. Now we're having that negotiations of why we want to do it the way we want to. Not tell you, but why. Yeah. And that, that's a totally different approach uh, from every angle uh, when you deal with any type of industry in your, in your community, yeah. in your area. Um, what about, and uh, this is uh, to dovetail into the, to the, um, um, to the, well, to the tourism industry. Mm -hmm. When you, you're, you're in that business now, but yet so many of your community, which is uh, very similar to my, my circle of people that I know and that I grew up with, um, so many of them, I mean, half the kids that I grew up playing hockey with are now working for the mining companies, mm -hmm. while the mining companies dominate. The, those the two big mines in the camps area. I mean, almost everybody I know is working for them yeah. that I grew up with. Um, how do you how do you find that line? I know it's a big question. That's that's something people are going to be dealing with for the next hundred years. Yeah. But how do you find that line between putting a giant hole in the ground and messing up the landscape? Because as hard as you try, you are doing that, mm -hmm. and being able to have a canoe that go goes down this beautiful river, you know, how do you, where do you think you start to even have that, that balance? For me, I guess, um, again, I, I said it a little bit earlier in the show here where you have to really look at your personal values, how they're mm -hmm. passed down through your, through your parents, your grandparents, what type of industry do they work in? Like my dad worked in the forest industry, the ranching industry, worked in a sawmill when he retired. So, you know, he followed his own path of what he knew he can get by on. Now, I think those opportunities have grown, multiplied. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people, depending on the small town atmosphere, and if they feel that's, if they don't want to leave that area, well, then that's where they head. They know that there's an opportunity there. Right. And so for me to grow myself, it's again, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur, put it that way. Who'd ever thought they'd own their own business or, you know, most people dream it. Yeah. But when you actually are doing it, it's, again, it's a goal of my own personal path that I followed. And it was, again, I stumbled upon it. It wasn't something I thought of when I was in high school. It was something that, you know, I've I experienced a lot of uh, different organizations and, and, and industries that I worked for and realized that, you know, I'm more with people. 
I want to share the you know, and and like you, I'm never picking sides because I've always been neutral in everything I've done in my life, and I think that's why I've gotten to where I am. And to have and to and to close that off with you know why these uh, men and women choose to follow in industries because they see a better lifestyle for their children. Mm-hmm. So the question you're asking is how does the cultural teachings, how does the cultural uh, how does that follow suit with the land that they follow, the animals and themselves, the people? It's gone into a society now where we're getting mixed into uh, where there is no more divide. Again, 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was a divide of indigenous and non-indigenous communities. So now that's that the inner uh, racial marriages that are happening. Everybody, my kid, my half, my children are half Métis. So, you know, again, it's just the kids are not growing up the way they were growing up for 40, 50 years where they were isolated to, you know, marry one particular group. Now those groups have expanded. Mm-hmm. So the thinking and the ideal of our next generation, your you're, you're guys' next generation is right. coming. It's, it's really opening up the minds to how we're working together. And we're no longer looked at as indigenous peoples. We're looked at as part of Canadians. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a huge step for everybody. And I think that's the biggest struggle we have is depending on how you're, how you're raised, where you're raised, and how you relate to the people around you. That's mm-hmm. the biggest step. And I, I grew up in a, in a public school. I didn't go through residential school. So I, w- I missed that boat, which is good. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, I really got the opportunity to learn what other Indigenous and non-Indigenous kids got, got along. That's why I how I got to know you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we grew, I mean, we, yeah, I know. I mean, in the area that we grew up, it wasn't. Uh, it was just mixed. Yeah. As you start to get older, though, and, and like I said, the opening sh- of the show, I wanted it to be an honest discussion. <coughs> I never thought of. I never thought of uh, indigenous, which wasn't even the words. It w- that yeah. wasn't even a word when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, and white people and that I, it wasn't a thing um, yeah. when we grew up because we were just growing up together as kids but then I did notice that as we got in into my teen years there was there was more separation mm-hmm. you know and that was that that you started to see that people were beca- that were becoming isolated you know more people were moving away but the the kids in Bonaparte that I grew up with they were staying and now I've seen though now they've really a lot of them have have done really well for themselves which was good to see um but it's you know it's sometimes on on sort of a macro level you can see that it's moving forward but I you still get a sense that there sometimes is that separation and I've noticed one thing I noticed with you and you you know when we you you treated everybody the same, everybody. Mm-hmm. And when we would come to you know you'd put on a golf tournament and it was this mixture and because and that's and I don't think you were trying to set yourself up as a leader, but you because you treated everybody the same, it sort of eliminated that. Mm-hmm. And people coming from the coast, people coming from the interior, and is that is that a, was that a conscious thing? The way that you sort of just will not ex- <laughs> you you just will not accept to treat different people people differently based on their status or their ethnicity or their culture mm-hmm. is that a conscious choice or is that something that that you came to well again i give my blessings to my parents and my and and my surrounding family members who uh, you know who've helped me understand what our what our traditional values are 
and it really makes a difference to how you grow up and how you how you vi how you vision the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, everywhere I've worked and what I've done, I was, I was always given the opportunity where I was never told, no, you can't do it because. Yeah. So I guess I walked into a world where well, someone has to start this. Mm -hmm. And those relationships I built over the years and why I had a diversity group of people is because uh, I was involved with the golf industry for quite a few years, I think almost 30 years. Yeah. And, uh, and I had all ages and, and genders I golfed with. And the only reason I held that term is because they all were friends. Mm -hmm. And I could never golf with them individually anymore, so I put them all in one group and I yeah. got to do that. So yeah. I guess it just comes with uh, being, an, uh, I don't call it a natural leader, but a natural draw to, to feel safe. Yeah. And I think a lot in this world today, that's not a word that you use very often. No. So it's being safe in, in, in an environment where it doesn't matter if you know the individual, you know they're there for the same reason, and that's and that's to enjoy your day of golf and get to blend those groups together and, and get to know how I get up there and I can still act and still be able to act the same way and be and people know who I am. Yeah. I think I think everybody wants that legacy in their lives. So I'm I'm trying to grow it for my children to see that diversity. But most of all I want to see people enjoy and get to know meet new people like I like again. I met Gotti today yeah. for the first time. Yeah. I know you've been quiet over there quite a bit, <laughs> but you know, it's like a friendship uh, conversation. But I tell you, it's definitely a, an insight of where we come from and what we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. You, it's you guys worked together for without meeting for how long? Quite o some time. Over a yeah. year, I think. I yeah, think over so. a year. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, I know it was so. It was very interesting. It's hard to to work with someone just over emails or phone calls it's, it's not i think it's you don't really get to know the person yeah. um i mean especially because it was more conversations about business than anything <laughs> <else>. <laughs> yeah well you you're you're there to do the facts and, and get the things right for us and without your uh dedication to you know helping us develop what we have you know you're developing a dream and that's you made it a reality and like i said this may 1st is our opening day for our for our company so in our and where we wanted to build it in the Canloops area and mm -hmm. uh, so yeah it was a dream now it was a reality based on all the work that you've helped us get, get through yeah. yeah that was a fun project it was it was yeah. it was uh it was it was interesting to be able to take when we were sort of developing the plan for for mocks and trails and kind of trying to piece it all together it was interesting i was it was a combination of being surprised at how much I actually retained from being a kid and going, oh, yeah, okay, I know what Frank's talking about when he's saying he wants this or it needs to be this way. And also how much I went, oh, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. that I just And I remember even there was a couple things I sent to you. I said, I, I'm not comfortable writing this. Like I, I can't develop this. Con I, I, this is me talking about your your culture that's not my <laughs> place you'll have to fill these blanks in yeah and i guess uh, i guess uh, when you look at the, our english language it definitely has a spin of who we are it makes us all neutral but it definitely when you look at the english language is very hard to uh to pinpoint how it is that's why lawyers do so well <laughs> 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 they can change the words very quickly yeah. 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 and uh, and what's our and, and having a diversity of our indigenous languages uh in bc it's it's very it's very unique to have uh, around twenty five to thirty different languages and, and nations in BC out of two hundred three. Absolutely crazy! It's huge, and I really lo I love looking 
and and learning just like you and even though we say i'm indigenous i go to a, on the west coast or up north or down south i learn a wholly different culture and there's a lot definitely a lot of connections to it but uh, for me just to be a, uh, i went on uh for example i'll give you a quick run by is i went on a canoe trip that i got uh, that i got uh, invited to down in the okanagan nation and it's usually done on July 4th. Uh, it's uh, basically a peaceful protest to go from the, it's called the JA Treaty. And you basically start from Asuyas, go right down into uh, OMAC, I think it is. And then, uh, not OMAC, but what's across from there. But there's another piece of, um, across the a border. But they have, it's really cool. You get on these traditional canoes, they carved and they go across and they meet people. They have a big picnic. July 4th there obviously is like our July 1st day. Yeah. It's so huge and so many people. Wow. And they, they cheer when we come into those canoes. And it took us about four hours to paddle to get there. And it took us about five hours because we were... We ate lots and we were lazy, <laughs> but we came back and I always said we went against the wind both ways, I tell them. So. <laughs> but, you know, for me, uh, just to be involved and, and, and invited, and it was a free event. There was no charge to it. It was to come experience the culture and their cultural ways and their protocols and their traditions. And just to get in a canoe and just be part of a canoe family. And it, it was really neat. To, and that's kind of what, again, it resonated to me, to my business is like, this is what people are looking for, mm -hmm. and it's not just it's not just non-indigenous uh, visitors or guests from around the world. It really has to come from uh, interest, mm -hmm. and definitely, if you look on the Indigenous Tourism uh, of Canada uh, statistics and the Indigenous Tourism of BC, Canada is the number one uh, country that wants to learn about our own. Indigenous people. Canadians want to learn about. Yeah. 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 And that's really <laughs> cool. I, I never thought that I'd see that coming. And I can do see it based on building that canoe two years ago. Well, God, no. It, yeah, two years ago. How fast um, people were wanting to come learn. Mm -hmm. Because we took down this invisible wall. Uh, because it was a business, they thought they had to come into the resort and pay and when we went to learn about our culture, in reality, it was you can come and sit down and let's work on this canoe and work and, and build and let's talk about the local history behind this canoe. Oh, this is the one you the one you built, right? The project. The project. Yeah, I went out and saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. So you know that was something, and we still I'm still looking at helping to progress that, even though I'm not employed there at that that lodge. And I think we I, I said this a little bit earlier too was, it's not about the money. Mm -hmm. It's n a culture has uh, an open opportunity open end there is no closure to it uh, based on how you're gonna how you're gonna learn it and work with the communities and the elders and the youth and the, and the community members and the locals i think you really have to really understand if, if it's if it's a business driven thing then depending on who you are i'd never allowed people to feel that way and like you said i was always inviting mm -hmm. and because the locals want to learn this much about who we are and what we are I think the best story, I don't think I've ever explained this story to you, but I did it uh, when I was doing those canoes, I was bringing them around to different shows. And I brought them to this one trade show and there's 90, she was around 90 years old. And when we decided to build those canoes, uh, it was 65 years since a canoe was built in that community. So, you know, I got tired of talking about the past. Let's bring the past to the present and let's celebrate it today for the future. And because I was getting on that July 4th canoe, it just it was a really simple decision for me, but it wasn't my decision. It was an ideal I had to put on to the elders. They had to really think about it as well. The last one they thought it was 65 years. So once we got through the project, this is the project was about 60% done. 
And uh, it was so cool when this lady walked up to me, not indigenous, she lived in that area all her mm. life. And she walked up to basically the end of the show. She had her hands behind her back. She was watching me for most of the day. She wouldn't come, see, come to me until the end of the day when most of the people left. Then she finally came up to me and approached me and says, geez, I haven't seen one of these in about 60 years. I looked at her and I go, 65 years to be exact, ma'am, is what we kind of calculate in their community where this canoe, how this canoe became what it is. I just asked her, well, where did you see one? Oh, she says, my dad and I, when we were younger, he said, I, I used to, we used to watch these canoes come down the river. Mm. And I said, oh, okay. He says, I was pretty young then, but my dad was an avid fisherman, canoeist, outdoors when... He says, but at the time, he says, when we saw the men coming down the river, we knew they were working to gather and catch in the fish. So we didn't want to interrupt them. He was like, oh, I'll leave them alone. They're working, getting, gathering their food for the winter. He never got the opportunity to go to the men and talk to them and say, let's look at his canoe. Well, he passed on. And, and you know, so what she did, she says, is it okay that if, if I, you know, look at the canoe? So she went up and down the canoe with her hands. She was looking at everything and looking at the angles. She looked at me and she walked away. Before she walked, she says, thank you. I said, you've, you've, you've you helped me live out my dad's dream. And I get to now share it with him in heaven. And I looked at her and I go, wow, that gave me goosebumps because mm -hmm. it's like, it wasn't just for, that project was kind of, when I was doing it, was kind of for the indigenous to bring it back for the, for the values and the cultural beliefs. But I didn't, I totally forgot that there were people always watching yeah. us build those canoes. Mm -hmm and to use it and how to be develop it. So that to me opened my mind to like, and now this canoe needs to go out even farther and do more things. Yeah. So that's kind of where those canoes are today. They're not just an art piece. They're actually going to be used and that's something I look forward to. I think develop. that's, I, I, I don't think you can say enough how important it is because when it's, I mean, when I was, when I was 13 years old and I saw a canoe on the wall, why would I care? Right. And none of my friends cared. Uh, wh why would you? Maybe there's one kid in the group that likes that type of thing, so yeah. he's looking at it or something. But plunk that canoe in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to teach us. No. We'll bail in and we'll go from there, and then we'll learn the history and culture, yeah. which it is a Canadian culture. Yeah. It's, it is our story because that story is very intertwined in the last over the last 200, 300 years. Mm -hmm. And that's... Again, it baffles me that it, it it's taken this long. And it's, it's sad in a way because a lot of people grew up without it. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up without it because I would have loved to get in a canoe. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to get in a canoe. I mean, when I was a little kid, we imagined, we pretended that like logs were canoes <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and friends from Skeetiston would come up and we'd all play and all that stuff. And But we never got that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so now that it, you know, and you need the art. Of course mm -hmm. you need the art on the wall. But mm -hmm. that making it real and tangible, that that especially for for young people, and mm -hmm. and I and I think you're right. Not young people, just indigenous young people. Mm -hmm. For I mean, all of the kids that are growing up in these communities, mm -hmm. they just miss out on it. If it stays on the wall, they'll miss out on it. And yeah. it's, it's as simple as that. They won't look. They might go on one field trip. That's it. Yeah. Well, again, we, we both grew up in the uh, through the Ascroft, uh school, mm -hmm. uh, high school. The cool thing about that, uh, when I built this project, the number one school that came out, first of all, was Ashcroft. Oh, was it? And all of those kids' as parents who we played hockey with, the Becketts and the Hunt, you know, all these different family names back there, 
their kids were coming in now to learn about those canoes where their dads, like you, we played, but we'd never done it. Mm-hmm. Now the kids actually done it. And they stuck with this canoe from the beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> so it was good to see that next gen, gen- yeah. uh, I guess for me, the next generation coming up, actually touching and experiencing. It. And that's something I, that needs to still fester and grow. And I think what's happening now, again, because of the cultural um disruption i call it uh, and what you call canadian I, I, I don't call our culture as a culture anymore in my head because it's more of a heritage because you said that and and I, uh, yeah and we're blending our cultures in different fam- forms and, and ways now and that's not going to be stopped yeah again so for me how do we make it a heritage and how do we and i always laugh because i always say you know what puts us all together and takes away all of that is hockey <laughs> all right when the, kid, when, the, yeah, <laughs> when the Olympics come on, hockey is... You have uh, no yeah. idea how often hockey comes up <laughs> on the show and Gowdy is not a fan. Yeah. So our goal, <laughs> our goal next year is basically just yeah. to make you a hockey fan. It's going to yeah. happen. I, I watch hockey. I, I do. When, you know, when I go to, to a <laughs> restaurant and it's on... <laughs> <laughs> we got I'm like, oh, it's a hockey game. We've got to put you on skates then. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll bring a pair of skates for you versus the work boots. We need to do a skate area. tour down <laughs> the river. <laughs> but it, 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 it definitely, if you grew up in, in, in definitely in the woods or wherever you are, there was always a pond or a place mm-hmm. to skate, especially the boys. Um, we definitely found that as... as and my uh, sisters. And, and, <laughs> and a, pla- a serenity place where, you know, you just can be a kid. Yeah, and and every age group came together, and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And you always had mentors and people that you know you followed. And poor me, I become a goalie. So uh, I, I said I didn't know how to skate, but apparently goalies are a better skater than a guy out. I, I don't know. I told him, depends if you fall down and try to get up with your gear. Yeah, <laughs> you're a fish out of water. Actually, so. you you use my brother's pads at yeah. one point. Yeah, that's what started my career. Yeah. Was your brother's pads? My my late brothers. I think my my dad gave him the gave uh in the yep. goalie pads right and they couldn't and they couldn't find a goalie well they did have a goalie but i don't think he was a goalie <laughs> i was i wasn't any better I got, i'll put it that way i'm not trying to put him down it just felt like i had more of, and i just had more of a passion for it and yeah. again it, it, it um growing up i never had the opportunity to play hockey but when i hit my uh adult years i got to know get back involved and that's why i've been involved now for god 50 going on 34 years and it just feels like yesterday still yeah. to me i'm still that kid when i put on the gear and it's fun yeah definitely enjoyable yeah i i, I was curious about something did you growing up have you i mean now you're you're immersed in culture and in not in just your uh, not just in your heritage but in the heritage of all, all these different communities around british columbia and you've been traveling and it will just start here for now how much of what you know of your heritage, your culture, your people was learned as a kid as opposed to now that you've kind of went in and, and really got involved in it? Well, I, I always say there's two different types. One that's mind, one that's body. Mm. Uh, the body one was simple. We picked, we gathered, we hunted, we fished. Uh, you know, That was kind of most of the teachings I've had growing up. But as I got older, I started learning more about, uh, you know, my, you know, the long hair. And, and again, it's all bored Indigenous uh, practices. We're, it was never something that was brought into our territory. It was something we brought in individually. Mm-hmm. And we shared that. The sun dances, the, winter, uh, the smudges, the, the sweat lodges, the different spiritual practices. 
But it all had the same purpose at the end, at the bottom line, it had a purpose, and that was to take care of yourself, your, your, your family, you know, it goes up the chain mm -hmm. as far as people, and also respecting the land and the animals. And uh, for me, the cultural uh, aspect of it now is it's really shown who I am, why I wear what I wear. This is an elk vest that my friend made, and I, she asked me, what would you want to represent? I said, well, I've always worked, I don't know, bears seem to always seem to be drawn to me, even though I'm not from a bear clan, like uh, from the carrier or from the West Coast, how they label, uh, or from back East, uh, how they label themselves as different groups. Again, every culture has a different form. And our culture was more, uh, like you said earlier, when you looked at the canoe on the wall, we had working art. Mm -hmm. It wasn't work, it wasn't art you put on the wall and got to look at it. We actually had to use it and to survive. Well, back then it was hard life up yeah. there. I mean, yeah. that's that's rugged, that's rugged territory. Yeah, and I guess yeah. the only insight I can show people that kind of lifestyle was when you heard when you seen the movie Revelant uh, mm -hmm. with Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, that really shows you how harsh the conditions were, and there was no forgiveness to yeah. anything or anyone. Uh, eat to be eaten kind of yeah. attitude, right? So for me, the culture, I started learning more and more. I started learning again through different mentors. I, I always look for. I guess growing up through my personal journey of always looking for that one guy to be the mentor and show me everything I needed to know, like a father figure should have or an, uh, an, a, a male figure should have. And uh, when I was going through my healing, personal healing journey, I got grabbed by an elder, brought me to the mirror and says, he's right there. And I looked in the mirror and that was me. I had to fill up that jar of, of knowledge and, and wanting to learn and and I was who I was, mm -hmm. and that's why again, your, my personality is so easy to get along with people because I've always asked questions, and it, and, and once you finally go through that motion, it changed my, I, uh, my thought of thinking: How do you pass on these traditions, and how do you pass on these opportunities, not only to yourself, but you know through the guests and visitors that you that you interact with uh, on the t in the tourism industry, but also educating the, the your your peers or your coworkers of what the culture means. And then really, how does it mean to you every day? So again, I, I always said, when I started getting involved with the, uh, the indigenous tourism industry, it wasn't a job, wasn't a career, it was a lifestyle. And it shows in who you are when you start following mm -hmm. your lifestyle because it comes naturally. It's not something you set up or stage. So that's what authenticity, and that's what I really want to bring to the tourism industry is that, that story, that individual story, community story, nation story and international. So it really, I really got the opportunity to travel and move around the world this last couple, uh, 12 months, I would say. I visited seven countries. And boy, I got to see a variety of, of different cultures, rich cultures. And when I look at Canada, I always look back and, you know, flying home, we're such a young country. Mm -hmm. We're babies compared to what the world is around us. And, uh, we really need to get along, and I think we have it right. And it's really cool because I think sometimes with the industries we follow and, and, and we chase that uh, comfort of life or lifestyle, sometimes we work too hard. We work to live. And reality, when I go to Europe, they live to work. <laughs> it's totally reversed. Or well, they work to live. Yeah. They work to live. They live to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it's, it's so funny that you say that. I say that uh, to my with my husband all the time about yeah. Central America. Yeah. It's the same thing. That yeah. over there, you work to live, and yeah. here, 
You it live is, to work. Yeah, yeah, you live to yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's reversed, right? It's reversed, yeah. And, and it's just the casual of eating dinner at, at 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. It's not 5 o'clock and being in bed at this time. It's not structured. It's structured in a way where people can relax and they bring their families out. Uh, kids are running around 11, midnight. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just, and it's just a, a so relaxed. And next day they start over again. Yeah. And then when they take their days off, they take their days off. But you just, you know, you kind of grow through that and to get those experiences to come home. And, and I can tell you one thing, why Indigenous people struggle in some ways, because that's exactly how we live, you know. We don't, we're not out there to make the million dollars. Uh, and there's some are now, the next generation that's coming, are yeah. going down that path and want to be successful. And there's people in our generation who are like, we're just happy to have what we have, yeah. you know, yeah. and live the way we live. We live very simple lives. So, and that's, and that's, and that shows and how we take care of our uh, natural resources around us. And that's yeah. really huge to us though. And well, and what, I- but what do you think that balance is? Cause actually we should give a, a shout out to our sponsors before we go. I, I will remember before that question. Yeah. Yes. Don't um, forget. <laughs> <laughs> I won't forget my question though. Um, yes. Okay. We have more sponsors, sponsors, sponsors. If you want to sponsor, please let us know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yes, we um, are brought to you also by Streamline. They offer a complete package of fleet management solutions with three incredible products. Um, your first up, NaviStream, their onboard intelligence and telematics system. NaviLink, their vehicle automation and IoT platform. And Dagama, their dynamic transportation management system. Please visit stti.com for the Streamline Advantage. <coughs> We also are brought to you by Resource World Magazine. They report on the business of mining, oil and gas, green technologies, and the events th- that affect these sectors. You can catch their February-March issue um, and see all the latest news at resourceworld.com. I believe their next issue is coming out, too. Oh, yeah. But that'll be, every two months, mid- right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that's coming out. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, Power zone equipment. When you need a specialized pump for any type of fluid handling or dewatering, then you'll want to have your pump designed by PowerZone. Sorry, by PowerZone equipment. You can visit them at PowerZone.com, where you will find thousands of new and rebuilt pumps, motors, and engines. Thank you. Yes. And thank you to our sponsors. Genuinely, genuinely appreciate it because we love doing the show, and we need we need to show up. We need our guests. We need sponsors, and we need the people to watch. And people have yes. been watching, so thank you. Um, the question that I had <laughs> was the balance between the two. Because on one hand, you do need you do need the lawyers coming out of the indigenous communities to do these negotiations. You need the people that are getting involved with starting up new businesses. You're an entrepreneur now. You're, you're and you're seeing it more and more. I'm seeing so many of my friends that I grew up with now. I'm, you can, there or in, in some of the new friends I've made, that the way that they're moving into, you know, competitive fields and their their I mean their voice is definitely being heard. How do you find that balance between keeping keeping an eye on your heritage, protecting it, growing it, because heritage is. 50 years from now, today will be the history. Mm-hmm. Preserving this history of of your people, of Canada, of and as Canadians, again, not just as Indigenous people. How do we preserve that, but for specific for Indigenous people, but also bring that competitiveness to be able to walk into those negotiating rooms 
and get the best deals and move and also not not just get the best deal but move the industries forward so that people can get the jobs and the projects don't take 20 years to happen and how do you find that like w- i mean you have kids how mm-hmm. do you find that balance between take care of it but also move forward and that that might include you you know the universities that might include starting a business that's going to just beat on you for a couple of years as you're trying to move it forward you know how do you kind of find that balance do you think i guess for me i, l- I always say there's i always said there were always two types of indigenous people i grew up with one was culturally rich financially poor flip it around the other one was financially rich culturally poor mm. so you had either choice to live in the community and suffer if there was nothing around you as far as an industry or and then the other move was to leave to get your formal education to go get that so in one sense, you stayed back and preserved your culture. And the other one, you've left it behind and put it behind you, but it's still a part of who you are. So again, to tie the two, again, to be an Indigenous tourism entrepreneur, you have to have the business set mind and you have to have the cultural set mind. Mm-hmm. And the only two, the only way I've ever married those two together was education. Mm. Now, you look at education by educating yourself on both levels but also making sure that education is formal, if it's formal, or whether you're learning it through uh, a lifestyle. Yeah. How do you, uh, if you work for companies, how you do how you develop that? And uh, again, going back to Quail Lodge, I've really seen that they built an organization 25 years, that's what they were celebrating, or 25 years for that lodge. And that was one of the first indigenous tourism um companies that were actually out there before the organization you see on the screen there indigenous tourism of bc was there they were at 21 years so this company was ahead already of before the organization association even showed up so they already had an insight of how to show and it was going to be a training ground for their people that's mm-hmm. what that lodge was going to become a training po- a training center oh. so they can move out into the world and get adjusted oh because the lodge came before the golf course yeah oh i you know i never put the two together i just assumed golf course and lodge yeah. but it was two different things 25 years and 10 years was the was the university was the anniversary oh, of the golf okay. course okay so uh, again two different entities they're bringing in another industry uh, that's a that's a tough industry to be a part of, and they are now one of the top ten golf courses in British Columbia, based on the land and the natural setting it's set on. So I that's why I love that place. Oh, that uh, course kicks my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chip and putt kicks your butt too. Yeah, yeah but we don't yeah. talk about that yeah. level either. So you know, but it definitely gives. Uh, it def. It, that's the way I've started realizing how the tourism is shaped. Uh, I always think tourism industry for me was always backwards mm-hmm. because I couldn't understand the concept of how tourism has worked in my mind because when I looked at it, when I said indigenous tourism was basically uh, how we look at our land today and how we preserved it was we took care of the land, we took care of the animals and we took care of ourselves. That's what indigenous tourism is. Uh, and that hasn't changed as far from a cultural sense or a heritage sense. But when you flip it over in the tourism industry, it was the people manipulating the land and forgetting the animals. They were building other s- their empires with pushing everything out of the way. Where now the tourism industry has changed through the biosphere sustainability approaches where they're now looking at the economic value, uh, the environment, and the social issues that come along with the tourism industry. Because it's a growing and it's a fast-growing industry, um, it just keeps growing. It's it's kind of like what you want to see in a stock market, right? It's going to go like this forever. Mm-hmm. But then you see that, again, going overseas and seeing the over-tourism, 
how are we going to slow it down? Because we're creating a beast. We're creating a, an industry that um, the locals are getting pushed out. Mm. And you really got to slow down. So we have people out there too who are, are telling us to remind us. And that's our job is to remind how we do our best practice. And that's why Indigenous tourism is such a, a key component to the growth of the industry, or the indi tourism industry, is because any industry, whether it's the golf, it's all land-based, right? Mm -hmm. It's all people-based and all animal-based. How do we preserve what's there already? What's that ecosystem that's there already? And how are we going to build around that? And how are we going to get people to come to respect when we invite people from around the world to come to our, to our home, to our backyard? And they're not throwing garbage everywhere around because that's just uh, something they see. It's a natural thing. So how do we get that, that rethinking them to come into respect what we have? And when I went to Europe and got to see the museums and the paintings and the countryside, they're preserved because nobody disrupted them. And when those guests come into that community or that country, they're not respecting the same values. And that's why there's, you know, why the, the, the locals are pushing back because they do not want to see what they have preserved we are starting to have a little bit of that effect with some of our indigenous. One of our elders' concerns is that we're already dealing with that already, with even with our locals, disrespecting our landmarks, our traditional landmarks, the balancing rocks that are back in your territory, yeah. spray painting, knocking them down. There's stories behind those those rocks, and uh, and there's protocols. So you know it's already happening. So we have to start educating key to, to get the two worlds together is to educate ourselves again and that's so important on, on so much levels to preserve it for our next generation yeah. which you were asking earlier so it's definitely uh it's it's a work in pro it's a life lifelong commitment yeah uh, that you have to work towards your culture that must be i've never been to europe so that must be quite the experience i mean we we again we came from the same area so that's mm -hmm. it's quite an experience to to go to somewhere where it is this culture is so different what did you you already touched on it a little bit about you see how they've preserved their culture how much do you then take back and when you're coming here and apply it to what you're doing now and go oh there's there's a there is a a new there's a different way that we can we can preserve this culture in a way that when the guests come in they'll also help us preserve it they're not just going to disrupt it. Well, I guess it's like, I would say it's like waking up the old guard. Uh, you're waking up that spirit again yeah. within the people to bring that culture back and those best practices so that it's present, uh, not just in the form of people coming to see it, but in the form of how you live everyday life. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to the lifestyle, uh, respecting the land, respecting the animals, and respecting the natural resources and the people that live there. And I think when you when you have a great guest, I always say when a guest, when I always looked at a person that walked through a door, a, a tourism door, no matter where it was, he walked as a guest. And the one thing that Canadians do very well is you leave as a friend. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hear these conversations about how the United States, you know, how they act and how brass they are. And I have these conversations with my different friends and colleagues. And I said, well, you know what? They tell you how it is, like it or not. You're going to tell you how it is. And you say, oh, Canadians are so nice. I said, I don't think we're nice. We're just more tolerant. Mm. <laughs> I think we still struggle with, you know, we were just more nicer in a more quieter way. But, you know, we just don't seem to have to disrupt the apple cart sometimes to when somebody walks into a room and wants to ha take lead. And that's just, again, their environment they grew in, their values. So, you know, I always sense when they don't understand. So we got to educate them. Rather than pointing fingers and getting mad at them, I think 
our patient levels, that's where a big part of our cultural teachings are, is the patient level. And yeah. I think that's what I've had all my life. I, yeah. I, I don't think you've ever seen me mad too often. I, you know, I've never seen you mad, but I've also you're also not afraid to, to upset the apple cart. You're not afraid to say what you think and the way things should be. And if somebody is conducting themselves... You know, if I mean, I know you've called out people if they're being greedy, if they're, you know, being disrespectful. And I guess that'd be another thing um, is how do you find that, that that sort of is that a natural thing that just comes to you? Or is that that you you're willing to kind of step into the fray mm -hmm. and say what you think, um, but not really you're not really rattled. You're just kind of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> Most Again, you can't do that. <laughs> well, my dad, my late dad, he, he was always quiet. He sat in a room with the true elders, I call them, who actually, before the, our chief and council political election code and all that came in, they would sit around as a community. It didn't matter if you were part of the community. Uh, if you lived in the area, you were part of the community. And they had non-Indigenous uh, uh, members in those groups. And they would talk about the land. They would talk about how they would organize themselves. They never cared really who you were as long as you were respecting the space you were in. And I guess for me, it really it really resonates how I got that. It's because I, I got to grow up at the Hat Creek Ranch uh, site when I was a child. And I sat around 2025 20, Cowboys. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to pick and learn from them. And they all had the same level of thinking that's respecting who you were, what you were, what you, and it didn't matter if you were the boss or you were the cook or whatever role you played in that ranch. They treated each other with fairness and they knew what each job was. They never demeaned anybody. It wasn't a value of money. It was the value of what their input was and how they were helping out. And that's kind of the world I grew up in, Jared. That's why I am who I am yeah. because I got to learn from different levels of thinking uh, of, of men and women. Uh, and, uh, you know, my mom still teaches me this the simple things in life and i think i'm very grateful she's 81 years old and my dad just turned 85 this year so you know he just passed on on 85 but you know and he he raised he was raised by his grandparents and uh i was raised with my grandparents too but i mean when you had 25 grandchildren running around the house it's <laughs> uh, th their world is a little different so yeah. There's no more stress on us than it is wha what they had to deal with. It's just yeah. different stresses and, and the challenges they had to grow up with. But yeah. family cultures and values are definitely a huge part of what Indigenous is. Yeah. How do you, how people? Oh, sorry, got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Actually, um, from your childhood and, and growing up and, and what you were taught and from your own heritage, what is something that kind of stands out that you've come I brought in to immerse into tourism and what you do now our, our our i guess for me it's the stories we're storytellers and whether you went through your own personal journey whether you've gathered the history from before you uh it's carrying on that legacy of our history and again it's it's either a physical form or or uh, a mental form how you get your message across when people just want to be genuine and uh, I'd never had to be anybody different. I've always been who I had to be because that's who I wanted to be. And I always used, I always used the three, three ways of dealing with that. That was with your mind, your heart, and your stomach because your gut never told you the wrong story. It's 100% correct. Sometimes your heart gets in the way of your decisions. Your mind sometimes gives you the idea of where you need to go. 
Mm-hmm. So it's and that's kind of how you start as being an entrepreneur. You have to have all three in check before you do the right things. And I think well, sometimes we miss one of those steps or one overpowers the other. So again, it's that balance yeah. of the traditional values. And that's what I've learned over, I think since I've got to know Jared over the years, that's one of the things I've really learned was how to balance the four elements. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's intellectual, the spiritual, the physical, and the mental, you know, the emotional side of it. So. Mm-hmm. It really, it really, I, I, I knew where I, my strengths were. I just needed to work on my weaknesses, like everybody. Yeah, but you, um, you are, you have a gift for creating partnerships. Um, you, and I, I want to talk. When you, we did work for you, one of the hardest things when you're, especially in our case, you know, when you're dealing with with money and changing hands, and you're. You know, you're you're s- promising that something's going to happen here two months down the road or three months, but you have to. You're handing over money now, and that it really puts a strain a strain on friendships. It it puts a strain on, and even in business, it's always like it's almost like two dogs circling each other half the time. And and your pa- uh, and your partner in Mox and Trails, Greg Hoff. He's um, you know we've gotten to know him over the years, and he's I mean he's uh, he's got a ton of energy, and but he's from a completely different part um than you are and and i and i I talked about it with rory um is when we were that whole time we were doing business together there was never a sense that you were questioning us you wanted us to get good results but you trusted us to do it and it, it sort of it makes you want to do better for that person um, because uh, you feel a sense of sp- all of a sudden you're being trusted, so you reciprocate that trust. And, you know, that relationships you've built with Greg, I mean, all these boards is a sign of all these different people that want your voice there. And how do you how do you build that trust? How, d- how do you build that trust with people for them to trust you, but also you, you come across that you are very trusting, but you're no-nonsense, but you're also very trusting. How do you, how do you, how did you come to that? Is that a way you decided to be, um, to put that, that sort of that faith in people that they will do a good job? Or is that just, where does that come from? It, uh, again, it, uh, any relationship you work with, whether it's, you know, I've, I've been working now in these chair positions in the, in the tourism industry of BC here, whether it's Destination BC, uh, the Minister of Tourism, uh, uh, Lisa Bear. No matter what the title was, they had to get to know who you were. And that relationship really needs to resonate at the beginning because that's where that circling and all that goes away. Mm -hmm. And then you're sitting down and when you finally leave and when you finally give them a gift, for example, I had to give uh, Minister Bear a gift. It was a a blanket of diversity. It had a circle of a West Coast design, but it was a diversity of hands. People come together, all different colors. And I explained it to her. It wasn't my. It wasn't a gift from my territory, but it was. A, it was a gift from the West Coast territory where we were on. And behind that story was how do we all get along? And we're all sitting around in that room, talking about doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So how does that work when you don't try to build those relationships? So they get to know you not only from a business standpoint, because yes, pen to paper is one thing, and then you have lawyers that support that and back that up. But when we walk away today, and I think God is going to get to know me a little bit more after today and why we get along so well, is because I do not believe paper is what, what's, what makes us different. It's, it's our relationships and our beliefs and our values. 
that uh, we follow. And I never had to double check somebody because they knew what I was coming from. You know, even though we had a longer uh, term relationship versus Gotti, uh, I look at that. You know, you trust her. I trust her because I trust you. Mm-hmm. It's again, it goes down a line of of relationships. And people say that. I mean, y- I I probably hear that once every two months. Someone in a, you know sitting there and they say that, but you genuinely believe it. Mm-hmm. You you actually live by it, and I've mm-hmm. seen how you do that, and it's. And it's hard for me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's it's so watching you treat people that way with not second guessing them. Mm-hmm. It just it took me a while to get used to, especially when we started actually doing business. I thought, like, you're not going to question this. You're just going to let me. Okay, okay. I'll, well, that was easy, yeah. and I just went and did it. And it was, it w- and we well, you know, I mean, yeah. we're <laughs> we're doing we're getting questioned all the time. Yeah. And we, we accept it. We go, no, that's part of business. Yeah. Also, when someone's not doing that, it's like, what? This is strange. Mm-hmm. But now here we are sitting here, and there's, you know, you j- just keep moving forward. You know, you and Greg, mm-hmm. just you just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. I just, it, it, it sort of amazes me um, how many people, I probably even said it, <laughs> but to live by it, that's a, a totally different thing. And that must, when you're, because you do work with youth and that, that mm-hmm. must, just have a huge influence on them seeing that that confidence in other people as mm-hmm. opposed to just confidence in yourself and, and that sort of thing. I mean, you, you must see the results of that when you're working with these kids. Oh, the choices we make as a young person, always the wrong decisions. <laughs> 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 but as we grow into our own selves and learning in a comfortable position where we're at in our own bodies and minds, and that's where, again, going back to the gut, mm-hmm. heart, and mind. Sometimes we always get told that's what's better for us. Again, parents, we're always uh, guilty of that, of mm-hmm. uh, being a parent, of telling your children, this is the best practice, this is the best way, this is all you do. And when, you know, and when your children grow up, everything you've taught them, they've forgotten, and you've forgotten, and you're trying to survive. It's just like the animals. Mm-hmm. I think the mother instinct will be there, the father instinct will be there, but once you throw them out into the mainstream society and watch them, all you're trying to do is, is give them tools. That's the only thing. You, can te- you can't teach them values. They'll learn their values, but they'll always refer back to what you taught them uh, and to treat people well. Like you've got to know my older son, Matthew, mm-hmm. and uh, he has all those qualities. He's Again, he works in a fitness world, and he's, he's a guy in the front door, and he's welcoming everybody. And I watch how he interacts with people all ages. It just becomes a natural mm-hmm. fit because you got to see what I did at the Quail Lodge and got to see me grow that, how I was growing as a person. And he'd never see me mistreat anybody. And I said, you never have to, to be that type of person to do it. Whether a person walks in with a bad attitude or not a great day, you know, just to smile and say, you know what, maybe you need a hug, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you need, you know, a slap in the, ba- in the butt or whatever. But it's just something that people realize that you need to be validated and, 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 and reassured that you are a good person. And I think there's not a person in this world that isn't a good person. They just got bad habits or make bad choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, some do it longer than others. Some do it in short term. Some could carry it on through their lifestyle. And uh, I guess for me, it really comes down to what makes you happy. How would you want to be treated? How do you want to treat people? So it comes down to uh, personal values to, uh, again, the opportunity to have cultural or heritage values to attach to that. So that really strengthens who I am up and why I believe in where I'm at. I think it would be fitting to end with uh, the question is, what's the end goal? At what What's the legacy 
now that you're trying to leave? Because I know it's not uh, that you want to have a billion canoes in the water and have a trillion dollars in the bank. Um, although nobody would would say that that's a bad thing. But, well, some people would, I guess. But um, what is that legacy that you're trying to leave in, in your community, with your family, with Canada as, as a people? I, I guess the slogan I always think in my head is sharing is caring, right? And it's a simple slogan. And generosity, whether it's people on the streets, uh, people with addictions, people with the power uh, to make those changes. For me, it really has to, uh, my legacy is to see the, you know, those little um, lessons that I share with and, and the little things that I pass on, whether they need it or not, uh, or is, human, is a human element. And I guess that's why, to me, color is just a color. And uh, for me, I want our ch my children to have that same ability. I definitely want the youth to understand that they have those opportunities to travel the world, no matter who you are, where you come from, and to give everybody an opportunity to know who you are. And that's very rare because, like you said earlier, everybody's too closed off. They question you because they don't want to know, get to know you on a personal level. Mm -hmm. and that's why I said that slogan, walk in as a guest, you leave as a friend. And that goes to anybody that walks through your door like I did today. Yeah. And thank you very much for coming through the door, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gaudi. We'll do a quick wrap up here and uh, going to this camera, Gaudi? Yes, this one. Thank you for watching the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Um, go to Mox and Trails. Uh, you can start. They're, they're rolling it out so you can now book the tours online. Yep. And that's It's going to be a beautiful experience. And um uh, you've promised me a, a seat. Yes. In the in the first tour <laughs> this year, right? Yes. Uh, well, May first is our opening day okay. uh, for our uh, for our operations, but in April here we're going to be inviting uh, a select few that's going to come down the river to experience firsthand what it's like to be in our in our canoe business. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. So yeah, please please check it out. We'll put links and everything. Yeah, for absolutely. Um, please follow the show and share the show. Yes. Yeah, tell Don't people just about follow, it. Share it. Yeah. I'm one of those people. I, I you know, I'll, I see such good stuff, and I just follow it, and I don't share it. Yeah. I, I, I'll send it to you, and where I go, oh, we watch this, and I, I should share it out more. Yeah. So don't be like me. <laughs> 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 where can they follow us, Yadi? Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all at Crownsman P. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Crownsman Partners. Uh, we've got all the episodes there. Um, mm -hmm. An episode every Friday. Other than last Friday, unfortunately. That happens. Um, but yes, every Friday, brand new episode and all there. So subscribe, keep up to date. Also follow us um, on our group, the Crownsman Podcast. Yep. Um, we've got some great contests and giveaways. Yeah, we're doing a giveaway today, actually. We just yeah. posted up. Yeah. So please follow and win something. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for watching. We are the voice of industry, and when we say that, we always have to clarify the voice of industry is actually the people that come in. We're just giving the platform. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you for watching. Thank you for supporting us, and we will see you next episode.